So, suppose you stopped wanting. Then what? We tend to think that as soon as we fulfill whatever we want, that we'll be happy. That since our desires and our wants have been met, that we'll finally find internal peace. So, suppose you stopped desiring. Surely you would get bored fast, but that's an easy statement to make. It almost rolls off my tongue. The thought of being bored so quickly ignores the fact that creation is intoxicatingly fascinating. That it's like a profound natural art. So then, if someone is bored so fast, there must be something wrong with them. The idea is very aggressive, but if you put it into context, it seems more reasonable. Schopenhauer brings up a sort of imagination in Essays and Aphorisms. He says this. Imagine this race transported to a utopia where everything grows of its own accord, and turkeys fly around ready-roasted, where lovers find one another without any delay, and keep one another without any difficulty. In such a place, some men would die of boredom, or hang themselves. Some would fight and kill one another, and thus they would create for themselves more suffering than nature inflicts on them as it is. Thus, for a race such as this, no stage nor form of existence is suitable other than the one it already possesses. This sort of imagination ends up being, I think, a proper analysis of the human condition to be bored. And the aggressive idea that if one is bored so fast there must be something wrong with them seems quite outlandish. But if you put it into context, it seems more reasonable. See, take for example a good god who created everything. This god, whoever it may be for whatever religion whom this applies to, would have made the entirety of this world, which we can generally claim is good because god created it. But because we have a negative sort of tone when we refer to boredom, we can assume that boredom is something against God. For how can you be righteously bored at the presence of goodly creation? In this case, saying that there is something wrong with you, or at least not holy for being bored, is a logical argument. So then we establish that boredom is probably a bad thing, that it is a cause of our own animalistic doing, because whatever good thing there is within us is probably God-given in some way. But yet, we don't really think of animals as bored, so we're stuck. We're stuck now in the cycle of having to understand that boredom is one of our attributes of being intelligent, of having no chase, of being fully and utterly within this river of time and looking out and into it. It's a deeply exploitable cycle. As long as another carrot is tied to a string in front of you, you'll follow it. It's quite interesting how the donkey follows the carrot regardless of the fact that the stick is attached to the back of his head. And it's ironic that the donkey follows that which follows behind him, rather than the true present moment that lies before him. In the same way, we follow the same sort of structure. Nietzsche goes into his own monologue and ponders the following.
What is the task of all higher education? To turn men into machines. What are the means? Man must learn to be bored. How is that accomplished? By means of the concept of duty. Who serves as the model? The philologist. He teaches grinding. And grind we do. Some might say almost religiously. Schopenhauer says that the boredom is the sensation of the worthlessness of existence. And it's off-putting because our whole lives we've been told that life has a meaning or a purpose, one that we should chase and pursue. Yet, we're never told not to be upset with contentment. So how is it that once we reach the illusionary contentment, we trap ourselves into boredom, only to find ourselves looking up at the precipice of desire? How is it that Sisyphus rolled a rock so far up the mountain every day just to be faced with the impending doom of knowing it will roll down back to the bottom of the mountain? How are we any different? Sisyphus was doomed for breaking divine law. But why are we doomed? Why are we subject to the life of Sisyphus? It's very probable that life has just gotten to a point of pointlessness. I wonder then why we all haven't given up yet. Maybe we haven't given up because we still haven't completely rid ourselves of desire. Maybe we want to make it out to see the good in the world. Maybe we want to live another day so that we can once again find ourselves at the arms of someone we hope might love us. Maybe we live because we yearn for the moment in which the sun bleeds through the windows and reveals the dust that flies in plentitudes. Maybe we keep going because we believe that we can make it out. Maybe we keep going because to be awake is to be alive. If we respected only what is inevitable and has a right to be, music and poetry would resound along the streets. When we are unhurried and wise, we perceive that only great and worthy things have any permanent and absolute existence. That petty fears and petty pleasures are but the shadow of the reality. This reality is always exhilarating and sublime. Henry David Thoreau